welcome to the Gospel for Life podcast. We help people grow by connecting truth to life. Here's your host, Daryl Dash. Well, welcome back to the Gospel for Life podcast. And today, as usual, we want to talk about discipleship. I remember talking to a pastor who said uh, he was retired and he said, I asked him what he was going to be doing now. And he said, now that I'm retired, I, I think I want to figure out discipleship. And uh, that really hit me at the time. Like, man, that's like an auto mechanic getting to the end of his career and saying, I think I want to learn a little bit about how engines work now. It just seemed to make no sense to me. And uh, so it's so important for us to think about this now, whether you're a pastor or uh, just a believer. I, I mean, all of us are tasked with this job of not only being, but making disciples. And so I want to talk today to a friend of mine, not one I've I know super well, but one whose ministry I've appreciated, I've actually met him in person, and his name is Jonathan Dotson, and he is a founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, and he lives there with his wife and three children. You might know him from his books. He's also founder of GC Discipleship, and the book that we want to talk about today, he's written a number of good ones, but the one we're talking about today is called Gospel-Centered Discipleship. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Daryl, it's good to join you. Thank you for your ministry. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Why did you, I know this book was originally released 10 years ago. Why did you mm -hmm. write this book? Well, I, I wrote the book in part out of my own struggles as a disciple, seeing kind of the poor formation I had as a, as a young disciple, falling into the pitfalls of legalism and license bending rules, breaking rules, keeping rules, and really kind of God's rules being the center of my, my following after Jesus as opposed to the gospel of grace. So, and then as I began to make disciples, I realized how much people needed this, this uh, new center, which is really an old center. It's always been the center of uh, spiritual formation, discipleship, the church. But we, we, we easily get off path. So, yeah, I wrote it out of my own personal struggles, but also in an attempt to help other struggling disciples who tend to veer to the left or to the right of the gospel in just day-to-day -day life, you know, whether it's how they're performing at their job or what they're thinking of themselves as a person or how they're doing in marriage or, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of a personal and then kind of pastoral concern behind the book. Now, I know it, a lot of books are released and uh, they kind of make a splash and then they disappear. And I'm a little bit frustrated by that because, you know, <laughs> books are almost like the new periodicals, right? They're almost like released and then forgotten. This book is being re-released now 10 years later. Why do you think that it, it's still getting traction 10 years later? Uh, I mean, back then, gospel-centered everything was in <laughs> vogue and it's not anymore. So. Yeah. Speak to why you think it's still relevant and why Crossway decided to re-release it right now. Well, it's not because of the original writing. As I got back into the book, the original writing was flowery. It was repetitive. I still agree with all the theology, but it, it needed to be cleaned up. It needed to be better illustrated. So it's not because of that. <laughs> and, and for that reason, I was grateful to get to revise the entire book for the, the new edition, as well as you know, add three chapters. But the angel in Revelation proclaims an, quote, eternal gospel. And we live in ephemeral, changing times. And 
I think we all sense that, whether we're able to articulate it or not, a need for something that is eternal, that, that grounds us. You know, Kierkegaard talked about the only thing that is always relevant to all people in all places is the eternal. The eternal gospel of Jesus Christ is always relevant because it can speak to every person in every place in every situation because it's outside of time. And the wonderful thing about it is that it's always good news. (laughs) So I think the age old eternal relevance of the good news of Jesus will not tarnish or fade. And therefore a book that is faithful, I think, to that gospel and tries to bridge the eternal unchanging nature of the gospel to the changing temporal cultural times we're in perhaps is something that's worth worth reading 10 years later. <laughs> yeah, and it, it really is helpful. I appreciate the book. I remember, I don't think I read the first version cover to cover, but I, I did have it. I remember reading uh, parts of it and yeah. I really do appreciate the update. So it, yeah, it's super helpful. Well, Jonathan, explain, I mean, this might be old hat for a lot of us, but I, I think it's important to go over this. Why is the gospel essential not only to our salvation, but to the entire Christian life? Well, if you don't have the gospel, if you treat the gospel as kind of a, you think of those shuttles that that leave Earth and go to space. And as they make their way to space, they have an entire fuel container capsule that they're attached to. And once the the shuttle has made it into past the atmosphere, that that piece falls away. You know, it jettisons that. And then the shuttle moves on into space. And a lot of us have treated Christianity like that. I just, the gospel gets me through the atmosphere into faith and then it falls away. And then I'm just kind of left to navigate the space of life and hardship and sufferings and all the things by myself. And uh, you do that for any number of time, any length of time, and you're going to realize it's really hard. (laughs) You're a harder master then Christ is a king and you're less merciful than he is a savior. So if you're out there trying to navigate things and you, you do things wrong, you'll, you might get too hard on yourself and you blow it. it you're kind of a, you're a bad master. If you do really well, you're floating along, you're getting, making progress. You might uh, praise yourself too much and take too much credit. So you're not a good master in that regard. You're prone to pride, strong pride or weak pride. You know, but uh, uh, Peter talks about the gospel is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in the soil of humility, we encounter Jesus who forgives us for our failures, strengthens us for our, our successes, and helps us move along in the Christian life. And that is more gratifying and effective <laughs> than being your own master, your own, you know, shuttle pilot so to speak. And uh, so I, I think that uh, Jesus Christ as Lord is the essential gospel and makes all the difference in the world. I remember as a pastor thinking how well guilt manipulates people. And I remember there was a phase of my ministry that I realized, you know, if I could get up there and make people feel really guilty, <laughs> actually they're motivated. And yet how short-lived that is, it, it really yeah. isn't what the gospel is all about. So yeah, speak to me about how can pastors build a ministry of discipleship around the gospel in their preaching and, and even the ways that they structure the church? 
Yeah, preaching and the way they structure the church. Maybe to begin with preaching, I think uh, perhaps in our stream of Christianity, when someone says you need to preach the gospel, what comes to mind is the cross and justification. In other words, preach that Jesus died for your sins and you're forgiven, or preach that you're, you can be, you know, how can an unrighteous person become righteous before a righteous God? How do you get justified, accepted by before a holy God? So those two gospel metaphors, atonement and justification, are what often when we say preach the gospel, we're thinking about. But there are other gospel metaphors that round out, fill out the portfolio of the gospel that actually have immense practical value in the lives of people we preach to. So, for example, the gospel metaphor of new creation, that the old has passed away, behold, a new creation has come. This is, uh, this is particularly appealing to people who struggle with depression, who have despair, perhaps have really blown it in life, have had a life of addiction or financial, made really bad financial decisions. The idea that they could be a new man or woman is incredibly appealing. I was talking to someone this morning who has been struggling with shame, and they're very well versed in justification and atonement. It's not that God can't use those things or that those things aren't untrue, but they said as they've been learning about new creation in our church, that it's given them so much hope that they aren't, they aren't defined by the shame of the past, but of the, the grace and the joy and the newness of the present, present in Christ. So one way to, to preach the gospel faithfully is to preach the whole gospel, not just your favorite bits or your favorite metaphors. And that, so that would include, uh, you know, also adoption. Adoption appeals to the longing to, to be, to belong. New creation to, to be new or to have hope. Christus Victor, the idea that Jesus has defeated the powers. That has a lot to do with justice, longing for justice. So there's different gospel metaphors that are in the text when we preach, but often we glaze over them or we push them to the side and insert Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And while that's true, when he did that, he also did a number of other gospel things that actually people really need to hear and need to be massaged into their lives. I heard a preacher last week, Jonathan, who was uh, basically just preaching the gospel and I was sitting there listening to him and, uh, when I say he was preaching the gospel, he was he just opened the text and he was making Jesus real to me and his work for me. And honestly, uh, I mean, I've been preaching for 30 years. Uh, I think I've been a believer for 50 years. There was a freshness in that moment to what he was mm-hmm. speaking that I'm amazed that, you know, 50 some years in, there's still stuff that I'm discovering almost for the first time, at least mm-hmm. at the heart level, right? So, mm-hmm. man, I just love that. I really appreciate your answer. and how comprehensive and inexhaustible the gospel is. So, man, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul describes it as the unsearchable riches of Christ, right? That that there's no limit to uncovering. I I like the way you said it, the heart knowledge. Even if you happen to have no quite a bit, there's always heart discoveries. I'm banking on every morning I open up the Bible and I come before the Lord. I'm, I'm banking on a heart discovery of how good God is to me in Christ. And uh, yeah, so that that's wonderful to hear. You know, I like the language too, it's making Jesus real to me. He is very real. And uh, that, of course, is a privilege of, of people in ministry is to 
to show and to demonstrate and to illustrate Jesus is real. Jesus suffers. Jesus rejoices. Jesus, Jesus is human and Jesus is divine. So it's good news. Do you ever have this experience of preaching? And I, I think sometimes we preach and we're preaching to ourselves. And sometimes it becomes so real to us that we're like, man, if this is true, this is exactly yeah. what I need to hear. Yeah. And uh, the yeah. way we do it, we usually follow our, our ser- we front load our sermon. And at the end, we, we come to the table. And uh, sometimes I feel like selfishly, almost like you guys need to let me come to the table first because nobody <laughs> needs, nobody needs the mercy and grace of Jesus more than I do. Um, yeah. And there's this amazing freshness to that. So, man, I really appreciate how you're describing this. So, Jonathan, let me ask you about, really, in the book, you talk about discipleship being a number of things. You talk about it being rational. And it feels like our tribe is really mm-hmm. good at maybe the the head knowledge of mm-hmm. theology. But you also talk about it being relational mm-hmm. and missional. I don't know many people. It, it really seems like all of us gravitate towards one or maybe two of those things. I don't know many people that really, I'm including myself in this, I don't know any of us that really get that right. So could you unpack what that means? What would it look like for our discipleship to be rational, relational, and missional? Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're always struggling. Another way to say that is uh, we're converted three times to Christ, to church, and his mission which I talk about later in the book, or gospel community mission. There's different ways to say it, but they're all integral to the Christian life. And I think if you're a sinner, then you're going to probably be weak in one of those at any given point and strong in others. You know, So I don't think it's a matter of balancing plates as much as kind of breaking the plates and keeping your eyes on Jesus with these things in view, as opposed to trying to spin gospel community mission and then add Jesus onto it and go, I've been a good Christian. So for, for practically speaking, like we have what we call city groups and uh, they're like our small groups or initial communities. And we organize and coach those communities around these three things. So when I meet up with a leader, they're going to pick one of the three that they feel they're weakest in. But as we sit down, that's not a point of, you know, shame. That's a point of growth. It's growth for them. It's growth for their community. They're trying to be a good shepherd and recognize, you know, rational, relational, missional, gospel, community. These are all integral (laughs) to the Christian life. Which one do we need to grow in this month or in this season? And so that's one way to kind of help at a structural level to help the church keep all three in view, that I need to be growing in my knowledge, the grace and knowledge of the Lord. As Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, rational, relational. We need to love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus is the pattern and is the power for community. And then missional, just as the Father has sent me, now I send you. These are all biblical uh, gospel kind of things. And so we want to be about that if we're Christians. So that that's one kind of practical way that, frankly, that helps me. So I'm a part of a group and I'm coaching the leader of this group. And one of the areas that we're struggling coming out of COVID is, is really doing mercy and justice things in mission and probably evangelism to an extent. So I'm talking to him about, hey, how can we begin to better love our neighbors as ourselves? 
you know, can we have a conversation about that this week? You know, and so then, then you pull the family together, the community together and you say, okay, guys, here's one of the areas we're kind of weak right now. It might be an opportunity for repentance or it just might be an opportunity for growth, but either way, it's good news. Jesus, Jesus gets the glory in our repentance and Jesus gets the glory in our growth. So how can we love our neighbors? So that, that's a practical way to, to keep these three aspects present and, and kind of firing, you know, in your Christian life. But it is, again, so important that relationships and community or mission, justice, evangelism not be seen as, as kind of the king of the three. The, Jesus is Lord. Community and master are not Lord. You know, we we're talking about community and master make really bad masters. Community, community, community mission. You know, when, when you succeed in evangelism, you're feeling good. When you don't, you feel awful about yourself. Well, that's probably a sign that mission has become your master or your center. You know, so we want to make that distinction clear always that, that Jesus is king. But because he's king, we're part of a new community and we're a part of a kingdom that's expanding. In the book, I think you say something like, sometimes we focus too much on discipleship and not enough on Jesus. I'm paraphrasing <laughs> you there. I really yeah. thought that was profound. Am I quoting you somewhat accurately there? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yes. In the same way, somebody, I think, said that sometimes our struggle in prayer is because we're focusing too much on prayer and not <laughs> enough on God. And yeah. yeah, so that's very, yeah, very profound. The The goal is Jesus. And um, these things are ways of getting at Jesus. So, yeah, getting at Jesus. And as we're talking, you know, it, there's a complexity and depth to Jesus. It's, is Jesus the answer? Well, yes. But the question we want to be asking is, how is he the answer? Who is he? Is he an eternal advocate? Is he a sacrificial savior? Is he um, a weeping Messiah? Which for, for me, coming out of the end of last year was profoundly encouraging. You know, we've been all been through a lot the last two years. And for, for your Christology to be thick, you know, for, for it to be not just fill in the blank Jesus, but man, you could fill in a lot of blanks because of the depth of Jesus. And, you know, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief in Isaiah 53. I mean, if anybody could seal themselves off from grief, it could have been the Son of God. Or, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, and, and uh, he was sorrowful unto death. I mean, I've been sad, sorrowful unto death. And it says, says it twice. And, you know, if a listener is, is dealing with suffering, or those that were leading just this is a wonderful fill in the blank Jesus to come back to a, a suffering, weeping Messiah. And uh, after the last couple of years, I just, I had a kind of emotional snap. I didn't have energy for ministry. I was walking towards my church building. And I just felt a decoupling from the church. Uh, the thought of being in a room with Christians was harrowing. And so I told my elders and they just gave me two months off. And during that time, I just spent time with a weeping Jesus. And I was met so profoundly and deeply and uncovered a richness to Christ in his, his human sufferings that was so sweet, so hard, but so sweet and, and would never replace it, you know? So again, Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. But the, the privilege that we have is to, to lead people into which gospel or to which aspect of Jesus. And that's the joy of discipleship is, is peeling back those layers and uncovering the, as we've been talking about, the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
one thing I've appreciated in your writing is I think there's a healthy level of, uh, I don't even know the word, transparency, I guess. You're not writing. You could posture yourself as an expert, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> But you're you're not writing from that position. You're writing as somebody who's studied and who's pretty honest about their struggles and that. So I really appreciate about that. That's that's one thing that's consistently drawn me to your writing, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you, brother. Yeah, I, I don't want people to be drawn to me. I do want them to be drawn to Christ. And so I think it is helpful to let down the guard, you know, to disciple people through my repentance as well as my obedience. So that Christ is praised in not not Jonathan. So I'm glad to hear that's that's rubbing off or coming through. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely has. I want to ask you a little bit about your context. I'm a church planter. You planted the church where you pastor. Yeah. And I remember one of your earlier books. I think it was the Unbelievable Gospel. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, if that's the the correct book, you talked about sometimes just feeling like. You know, you were doing everything that you could, and the results weren't always as quick as you would have wanted. <laughs> oh, yeah. And could you talk about just how you've, in the middle of, of planting a church and in the difficulties of ministry, how you have stayed close to Jesus in, in all of those? Well, it's true. I, I can remember when I first started planting Sea Life Church here in Austin, Texas. And I would go to church planting conferences. The first question I would hear is, how many are you running? And I was always frustrated by that, but I also was tempted by it. I want to talk about deeper things, but I also, at the time, wanted to say, well, I'm running more than I am. <laughs> and at that question, people don't know, it means how many people are attending on a Sunday. It's numbers, not really souls that are behind that question. So I've tried to not let the metrics the success qualifications drive my ministry or my faith. But man, it's hard because that's a lot of what people talk about. You know, how big your church is, how influenced you are, how many books you've sold, how many listeners on your podcast. I mean, it's just such a, we're so saturated with numerical success in America. And unfortunately that's everywhere in the church and the reformed gospel centered camp is not immune to that. So my flesh and my pride wants to, to say, yeah, here's the numbers or here's how, you know, and so I, it's a battle, you know, that's a battle. I guess one of the ways that I've fought that kind of, I've tried to go against, go upstream on that is to, to, to be very honest with elders in my life and friends in my life about it. When, when that particularly might be a particular temptation a season, it might be um, when I'm doing more speaking, you know, that, I might compare myself to someone else who's doing more speaking. I see an email come across and just confessing, hey, I saw that person on the email and I thought, oh, they should have invited me. I mean, if they're going to invite him, why why don't they invite me? Like just confessing that, you know, that success approach to ministry and repenting of it and saying what I want is more of Christ, not more attenders or more listeners. So I think just the bread and butter, confession, repentance in community has been really helpful for me. I think also confessing my sins to my congregation, they seem to really like that. (laughs) I always get comments often when I tell a story of my failure. And I think that has made me very human to my congregation and therefore approachable 
but it also has elevated Christ way beyond the stature of Jonathan Dodson. And so I think that that it's not a performance, it's authentic and that's important. But to, to be transparent in my own conversations and in my preaching, that has, I think, helped, you know, fight the kind of success syndrome that, that permeates ministry. So, I mean, th- those are a couple ways, but, you know, the thing that's non-negotiable is waking up every day and crying out to God. You know, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I pray, you know, leave me not as temptation, but deliver me from evil. And when I pray that, I, I go through the sins of the season, the temptations of the season. Lord, deliver me from control. I don't want to control my home for cleanliness to try and find peace. I want to submit to your control and, and, you, and, and find peace in you. You know, Lord, deliver me from false guilt to not evaluate how I've performed as a pastor based on kind of a negative voice that says you should have done more, but to evaluate it based on the finished work of Christ and the presence of Christ in my life. So I think that daily prayer of asking for deliverance from those evil temptations. And then, of course, he says, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. I mean, you've got all the all the power and glory to answer that that prayer. And uh, man, that's a place to put my faith for power and deliverance from from pride and numbers and success, you know. So the little small prayers at the beginning of the day and throughout the day are just ladders of grace, you know, just let down from heaven so I can climb out the pit of pride and just get closer to Jesus. Man, I've got three or four questions I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to abbreviate for the sake of time, but I, I appreciate uh, as you're speaking, Jonathan, you're speaking not just as an author, but as a, a pastor. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, if you were to speak to another pastor who wants to build a culture of discipleship within the church, how would you come alongside that pastor and just encourage him, you know, here's a few things you can do to mm-hmm. to really build a, a, a culture of gospel-centered discipleship in the church? What are two or three things you would say to encourage him? Well, I'd say way to go. This was Jesus' mission of making disciples. And uh, so don't don't give up and keep at it. Practically, I would ask them to keep in mind that discipleship is often friendship-based. So we pick our friends, but we don't pick our community. What I mean by that is that in community, you need a diversity of people that you might not normally pick to hang out with because this is the church, you're loving one another and the gifts and personality differences and all of that are so important for our collective maturity and the display of the gospel working among diverse people. But there's also a place for like a depth of relationship. You go quickly, you have a close friend. So you don't pick your community. God picks your community by joining a church and becoming a member there or committing to a group. But you do pick your friends. And it's important for, I think, for pastors to recognize that often discipleship is very friendship-like. There has to be some level of trust, affinity uh, between the mentor and the mentee or the peer disciples. There has to be some kind of, some kind of connection there where people are willing to let down their guard, confess their sins. I mean, these are deep matters when you really get into it. So I think pastors, one of the questions I get asked a lot from churches is, hey, how can we, I read the book, how can we implement these groups? You know, we want to get 50 groups launched in the fall, you know, tell me the plan. 
And I just have to help kind of pull back and just say, would you like someone telling you who you can be friends with? Because a lot of people have systems thinking instead of relational thinking. And when it comes to discipleship, a lot of that is relational. And if you want to trust and you want to be, you know, you've got to have a relational framework. So I think that another category is spiritual friendship. You know, how do we encourage spiritual friendship in the church, which is maybe fresh language for people that have baggage with discipleship. So way to go. But remember, discipleship is often friendship and create environments for that. So men's retreats, women's retreats. Um, if you have groups, don't let them just do Bible study or just do prayer. Plan social outings. And then in those social outings, people begin to connect. And then there's potential for discipleship. But if we're all just doing programmatic things, then it's going to be hard for, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get the people that like programs. Or if you're doing theology things, you're going to get the people to take the classes. But discipleship is a full-throated thing, like you talked about, rational, relational, and missional. So if, if you don't have other environments for this to happen, then you'll get kind of a, like a bobblehead Jesus or a bobblehead disciple, like really big heads of theology, but they're atrophied, you know, in their body. They don't have, they don't know how to relate to people or ask good questions. They're terrible at conversation. They can't get to the heart. They're not good at pastoring one another. So we don't want a bobblehead Christian. We want a full body, as Paul says in Ephesians, going to the full stature of Christ. We want to, so, you know, you want the community and the mission. So I'm kind of, kind of uh, rambling now, but, you know, those would be a few things that I would, I would say. <laughs> and obviously read the book because the book, is, it just gives so many good handles and, and ways to move forward. So yeah, thank you for your, thank you for making the book. So both theological and so practical at the same time, really appreciate that. Well, that's a, it's a privilege. And, uh, I did add a whole chapter on how to do it. So. Yeah, yeah. Probably <laughs> born out of the experience of yeah. questions you've been asked over the past 10 years, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me ask just uh, two more personal questions. Yeah. I like to ask them at the end of every uh, interview I do. What's encouraging you lately? Well, honestly, one thing that has been very encouraging to me, I, I've been reading Kierkegaard's The Purity of Heart to Will One Thing. And in this book, he's, He's asking the Christian, he's asking the reader to make your life goal to have a pure heart that wills the eternal or wills God or wills to worship and love God. It's like, oh man, that's it. I mean, give me a pure heart to walk in God's ways and to glorify Christ, you know. And he has this comment in this book where he says, the wise man is not one who reads many books, but who prays. And we might be quick to nod our head, oh, yeah, piety, prayer. But what he says is the reason that the wise man is not the one who reads books but prays is because it is in prayer that we uncover things about ourselves that we wouldn't uncover otherwise. That before the face of God, in confession and in, and in communion, the Holy Spirit takes us by the hand and shows us new vistas on Christ's glory. That might take us through a little valley to show us some of our sin. You know, might he, he takes us to places we wouldn't choose to go or even know to go. It's that mystical place of prayer. That's where Kierkegaard says wisdom is born. It's before the face of God. 
And that, that has made me want to pray more. It's made me want to linger in prayer more. And I've really, I'm a, I'm a book guy. So like, Hey, easy on the books. Okay. I like books, you know, but, but I want to be equally a prayer guy. <laughs> I, I want to be wise, not for the sake of wisdom, but for the sake of uncovering more of the unsearchable riches of Christ in order to pass on to my children and to my church and my friends. So yeah, really enjoying this is my second time to read the the purity of heart to will one thing by Kierkegaard and really enjoying it this time. Man, I haven't read that. So I'm going to look that up for sure. It sounds <laughs> like it's worth reading. Oh, it's great. And maybe you've answered this already, but what are you learning lately? It sounds like that might be one thing that you've been learning lately, just learning some of the lessons from that by Kierkegaard. Certainly, certainly I feel like being taking taking me by the hand and drawing me deeper into prayer, authentic prayer with the Lord. Related, I think, is one of the things I'm learning, and I would probably say enjoying, is freedom in ministry like I've never experienced. And what I mean by that is my failures don't stick to me like they used to, and my successes don't stick to me like they used to. I feel so free. It doesn't mean that I don't have a tempting thought to think too much of myself after preaching or too little of myself or whatever. But but really, there, brother, I'm experiencing so much joy and contentment in Christ. And part of that is resolving to not allow the successes and failures to define me. And a practical way that that works out is at the end of the week, I've worked a full week. Often my temptation is to look back and say, did I do enough to earn a movie night? Did I do enough to earn a hike? It's as though I'm working for the rest. But I think the Lord has been really sweet to kind of strip me of that. Not perfectly, but to strip, strip away some of that and recognize there is no earning in your ministry. Your ministry is really one of resting deeply in in what I think of you. And therefore, when you blow it, it's okay. And when you succeed, enjoy it, but don't cherish it. I need to think more about it, but I'm really enjoying that. And I don't want it to go away. I just read my journal this morning. It's like the past four months, the entry after entry, I see that is characterizing ministry for me. And I see the entries where it's a struggle. Like today I was tempted by this, but I want to keep fighting to rest. Because <laughs> this side of the new creation, it's going to be a fight to rest. So there's no Zen zone, right? But I am enjoying freedom in Christ and freedom in ministry. Mm. Wow. Well, that's so encouraging. That's a, a good note to end on. And <laughs> I am so grateful for you. Your writing has blessed my life. And, uh, I've heard you on podcasts and uh, meeting you. I didn't get enough time to talk, but man, I hope that in the future we can, I, I would just love to hang with you, but I'm so grateful for your ministry yeah. and and for uh, all that you're doing and, and for being with us today. Jonathan, where can people find out more about you and your writing? Well, Daryl, thanks for having me on and for your kind words, for taking time to ask questions as a, also as a pastor and a writer I appreciate your heart to really help people grow in Christ. So thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your writing, the podcast. It's been a joy to, to chat with you today. Yeah, I've got a jonathandodson.org uh, or .com uh, 
website. I'm not on social media right now, but I but I'll be back on it. I have a Twitter and a Facebook, or not a Facebook. I have a Twitter and a uh, Instagram. Jonathan underscore Dodson. Yeah, and there's a new book coming out at the end of July, early August. Maybe we can reconnect and and keep talking some of the themes of pastoral ministry. And uh, it's called The Unwavering Pastor. Maybe we could uh, chat about that and continue the conversation uh, maybe later. I've got that pre-ordered already. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Okay. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. Good to talk to you today. Yeah, good to talk to you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Gospel for Life podcast. If you're interested in growing and helping others grow, please check out our monthly newsletter. Go to gospelforlife.com slash newsletter. And please don't forget to leave a review of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. 